section eight of the english restoration and louis the fourteenth by osmond airy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter five the rebellion of conde number one failure of conde majority of louis the fourteenth mazarin returned to paris as a conqueror he might well have hoped to find his path easy but the jealousy of ministerial absolutism turned his very successes to his disadvantage before the year was out de retz was attacking him with all the old vehemence before the parlement which passed a vote demanding his dismissal it was sustained by the assemblies of the clergy and of the provincial nobility which de retz had brought together in paris and by orleans whose fickle support had once more been secured by this master of intrigue the authority of the regency had for the first time rested upon the alliance of mazarin with either conde or orleans it now stood defenceless once more the queen mindful of charles i and strafford refused to give up her servant but mazarin who recognized that it was in hatred of himself alone that the various parties were united with calmer wisdom determined to withdraw on the night of february sixth sixteen fifty one he secretly left paris at lillebonne on the tenth he heard from anne that she had been forced to give orders for the release of the princes before the messenger had reached havre he was there in person if the princes were to be set free he was determined to secure if possible their gratitude by releasing them himself this done he left france and sought the protection of the elector of cologne but though absent he was none the less powerful more than once while in the thick of the confusion he had appeared partially bewildered from a distance he had a far more complete control of the situation and the skill with which he guided the queen through all her difficulties was most remarkable for the moment it doubtless seemed to conde as he entered paris amid the enthusiasm of the streets that the game was in his hands to wrest the regency from the queen summon the etats generaux and frame a new constitution appeared well within his power he soon recognized that such a scheme was hopeless the parlement feared that their privileges would be weakened de retz the duchess of chevreuse and her friends had no intention of subordinating themselves to conde longueville Mollet, bouillon and many others were alienated by his arrogance while the house of vendome was divided through the affection of mercure for mazarin's niece whom he shortly married conde was soon driven to see that his only chance of supremacy lay in coming to terms with the queen herself his conditions were such that had they been granted he would have been virtual king of france without hesitation mazarin urged the queen to reject them and to form in turn a close agreement with the frondeurs they demanded a frondeur ministry and the nomination to a cardinalate for de retz and on these terms they engaged to further the recall of mazarin and to allow the court to leave paris 
the mere suggestion of mazarin's recall however brought about in turn an alliance between conde and the parlement the prince left paris and refused to return until the chief official adherents of mazarin had been dismissed the queen replied that she would sooner go into a cloister once again mazarin succeeded in persuading her to give way he felt the necessity of not allowing the understanding between conde and the parlement to become permanent and he knew that with time his best friend would probably be conde himself his hopes were fully justified by his insolent refusal to visit the queen and the king and by his general arrogance the prince rapidly alienated his friends in the parlement and thus robbed himself of his only support across the troubled scene of the last five years the monarchy had been guided up to an event of supreme importance on september seventh with the full concurrence of the parlement which had been gratified by a fresh decree against mazarin and with every circumstance of rejoicing was celebrated the majority of louis the fourteenth the proceedings of the day in which royalty appeared to the people in all its splendour as the personification of the unity and power of france are recorded in great detail from one of the tribunes of the parlement the ambassadors of the foreign powers looked down upon the inauguration of the epoch which was to establish the supremacy of france from the other the exiled widow of charles i gazed upon a scene which must have added by contrast a bitterness to the downfall of all her hopes from the crowd of great nobles one figure alone was absent as louis prepared to set out for the parlement a letter was handed him in which conde expressed his regret that fear for his personal safety prevented him from attending the ceremony the contemptuous refusal of the young king to open the letter well illustrated the changed conditions of the contest from the moment the majority was declared the princes of the blood until now rivals of the crown became subjects and subjects alone nothing was left for conde but submission or fighting should he choose the latter he would no longer be fighting only against evil advisers he would be a rebel against a king in the plenitude of his authority supported by the instincts of a nation number two rebellion of conde into rebellion however he threw himself with characteristic impetuosity at bordeaux he was enthusiastically received the great families of la rochefoucauld rohan la force la tremouille also upheld his cause in the south of france Dognon brought him a fleet marson the royal governor of catalonia carried over his best troops thus strengthened and liberally supplied with money and men by spain in return for the possession of a harbour on the dordogne he determined to defy the crown a royal declaration was at once issued depriving the prince of all his honours and governments and attainting him of high treason and the declaration was registered by the parlement on december sixth conde had underrated the resources of the government an immediate progress through poitou saint and anjou secured the quiet of these districts 
Harcourt defeated La Rochefoucauld, relieved Cognac, and took La Rochelle from Dognon. Condé, who had hastened to succor La Rochelle, was himself beaten at Tonnay-Charente and was compelled to fall back upon the Dordogne. He now sought for allies. In one powerful quarter he had great hopes. There had for long been existing among the Bordelais a strong republican feeling, and this had been carefully encouraged by agents from England. As early as 1650 the help of England had been formally asked against the government, and an offer made in return of a port on the Gironde and of La Rochelle. These offers were now renewed. Cromwell, however, prudently sent to the south of France to ascertain the real position of affairs. His messenger reported that secure in their religion through Mazarin's wise observance of former promises, the Huguenots gave no sign, that the Fronde was a frivolous and discredited faction, and that as for Condé himself, stoltis est et garulus et venditur a suis cardinali. In another direction, Condé was equally unsuccessful. The Duke of Lorraine, for eighteen years a duke without a duchy, was always ready to sell himself and the army with which he wandered on the frontier to the highest bidder. Condé now applied to him, and Spain seconded the request. But Mazarin, by holding before him the prospect of a repossession of his estates, succeeded for the time in baffling his design. The moment had now come for Mazarin to reappear on the scene. Since the middle of October he had transferred his quarters to Dinan on the frontier. Thence he had kept up an active correspondence with such of the governors of the provinces and commanders of the northern fortresses as were in his interest, and he had collected there a well-equipped force of seven thousand men, the Mazarins, devoted to himself. With this army he crossed the frontier on December 24th, and undeterred by the fulminations of the Parlement, which went so far as to set a price upon his head, marched rapidly through France and joined the King and Queen at Poitiers on January 30th, 1652. He had brought with him as the first fruits of the King's majority something more important than even his army or his council. He had brought Turenne. They came at a critical moment. Condé, indeed, had again been outmaneuvered on the Dordogne, but danger was threatening from the north. The Duke of Nemours had collected a mixed army of French and Spaniards and was now marching to join the forces under Beaufort, which Orléans, who had once more changed sides, had raised between the Loire and the Seine. The emergency was boldly met by Mazarin. He led the court to the Loire and at once took the offensive. On March 29th, 1652, Beaufort and Nemours were beaten by Turenne at Jargo. They immediately marched to Montargis to place themselves between Paris and the royal forces. At this moment, Condé suddenly arrived in their camp. Disheartened at his failure in Guienne and warned of the danger on the Loire, he determined to take the command there. He at once made his presence felt falling by night upon one division of the king's army he routed it and almost captured the court the skill of turenne who came up in haste and who with numbers not a third of those of conde prevented him from pursuing his advantage 
alone averted a complete disaster to the royal cause cond hereupon betook himself to paris orleans was there in his interest with a considerable force but the parlement though still hating mazarin was unwilling to oppose directly a king whose majority had been declared and above all there was steadily forming itself among the wearied bourgeoisie a fresh party who saw in the success of the crown their only chance of the repose for which they longed thus foiled conde turned to the mob anarchy was soon raging for turenne was gradually hemming in the city and the people were furious with the parlement which seemed powerless to bring their miseries to an end the news that turenne had avenged blenot by a brilliant victory over conde's spanish forces at etampes on may fourth increased the frenzy the populace clamoured for something that should end their suspense and turned their anger against the parlement and conde alike an attack by the royal forces enabled conde to draw the people into participation in the rebellion with an armed but undisciplined mob he inflicted a serious check at st cloud upon turenne who thereupon undertook instead the siege of etampes in which the remains of conde's force were shut up the siege failed through a strange intervention the duke of lorraine marched from the frontier and appeared before paris with his banded army of ten thousand men wasting the country as he came he had come in the pay of spain to help the princes he kept his word by a peaceful agreement with turenne that the siege of etampes should be raised and then outmanoeuvred by that commander and moved by a bribe from mazarin higher than conde could offer returned to the frontier after a fortnight's stay the troops of conde succeeded in escaping from etampes and reaching the suburbs of paris but the city guards angry at the devastation which they witnessed shut the gates and refused them entrance they encamped therefore at st cloud and there conde joined them meantime paris was given up to anarchy the members of the parlement were attacked in the streets and at length that body suspended its sittings many fled to the court mazarin and turenne reinforced by three thousand men now determined to strike the long deferred blow on july second conde's army was caught on the march in the streets of the faubourg st antoine a murderous conflict of several hours in which the prince displayed his accustomed bravery resulted in his total defeat hemmed in between turenne and the walls of paris he would have been utterly crushed had not his friends within the city at the moment when turenne was preparing a final attack thrown open the gates to his shattered troops and checked the further advance of the royalist forces by a cannonade from the bastille the immediate result was further violence and massacre in paris encouraged by cond himself the hotel de ville in which the general assembly of the city which had replaced the parlement was in session was set on fire by the mob and many of the notables were cut down as they endeavoured to escape from the flames Condé then coerced the remnants of the Parlement to consent to an administration in which Orléans was lieutenant-general of the kingdom, himself commander-in-chief, Beaufort governor of the town, and Bruxelles provost. The court had meanwhile to meet a fresh danger. At the beginning of July, the Archduke Leopold, 
who had just taken Gravelines and was besieging Dunkirk, sent a large force with Lorraine's troops to the aid of Condé. Turenne retired to Compiègne and determined to defend the line of the Oise with his 8,000 men. The enemy numbered 20,000, and had the Spanish general listened to the prayer of Condé, and with the prince's help attacked the royal troops, the result could hardly have been in doubt. But thus decisively to end the war which was every day weakening their great enemy was far from the interests of Spain. At the critical moment she recalled her army, and the danger thus disappeared as soon almost as it had arisen. Lorraine and Condé were easily held in check during the whole of September by the superior generalship of Turenne. Number three, reaction in Paris, royal entry. In other ways, the sky was brightening. The massacre of the Hôtel de Ville had disgusted all reasonable men. A great reaction took place in Paris. The bourgeoisie refused to pay the taxes demanded by the provisional government. Condé's army rapidly dwindled away. On August 9th, he could muster only 1,200 men. To separate their friends in the Parlement from their enemies, the court now ordered that body to leave Paris and resume its sittings at Pontoise. Molay, the president, and some thirty members obeyed the summons, and their numbers increased day by day. The court thus gained the advantage of securing the registering of their acts according to the Constitution. So greatly did Louis appreciate their services that to the end of his reign he paid all the members who attended the session of August 7th through October 20th a pension of 6,000 livres under the title of Pension de Pontoise. It did not at first appear that this step was for the interest of Mazarin. The Parlement of Pontoise demanded his dismissal. This, however, was obviously a prudent step, as it removed Condé's last excuse. The demand was acceded to with the old readiness, and on August 19th, Mazarin left the court to reside at Bouillon. Within Paris, the party of order continually improved its position. So strong was it that on September 24th, the bourgeoisie and the clergy determined to invite Louis to return. The provost of the merchants, the principal magistrates, the six trade companies, with de Retz at the head of the priesthood, carried the invitation to Saint-Germain. Turenne, meanwhile, had once more outmaneuvered the Duke of Lorraine and compelled him to lead his bands from France. Condé, bitterly disappointed, hastened with the remnants of his army to do the same. The fickle resolutions of Orléans were easily overcome. Beaufort was induced to give up his governorship for 100,000 livres, and on October 21, 1652, amid a scene of the wildest rejoicing, Louis XIV at last entered his capital. An amnesty was passed for all occurrences since February 1651, and all decrees issued in the interval, including those against Mazarin, were cancelled. Mazarin, however, did not at once return. He was busy in putting the army of Champagne into such order that Turenne was shortly able to drive Condé to La Capelle and to retake all the towns held by the prince except Rethel and Saint-Menehou. He was, too, perhaps unwilling again to appear prominently until he had heard of the exile of his rival Chateauneuf, 
of the complete dispersion of the leaders male and female of the fronde and of the arrest of de retz he entered paris on february third sixteen fifty three the earliest opportunity was taken for asserting the triumph of the principles of richelieu and mazarin on the very day after the entry a lit de justice was held at which the parliament was once more forbidden to assume any control over state affairs or to meddle with finance paris was now secure but the provinces were still agitated in provence burgundy and saintonge quiet was soon restored the struggle in guienne however was serious and prolonged bordeaux was under a reign of terror and the violent section of the parlement known as the orme from the fact that its meetings were held in a grove of elm trees refused all the offers of the crown its tyranny however became intolerable to the respectable citizens and led to a dispersion of conde's faction on august third sixteen fifty three bordeaux vigorously pressed by the royal troops opened its gates with this submission the long struggle of the fronde came to an end its result was to leave the monarchy supreme the conflict between royalty and the spirit of feudalism had ended in the complete triumph of the cause which best satisfied the yearning for order and the sentiment of national unity the great nobles had failed because as time went on it became more clear that they had nothing to offer the nation and that their cause was the cause of civil confusion they now exchanged their fruitless pretensions to independence for the high commands the titles and the pensions which mazarin showered among them for all the gilded servitude of the court the heads of great houses who had stood in arms against the king henceforth found their chief honour in filling the numberless offices which were created in the household while the younger members of the noblesse were encouraged to seek a career in the one profession which was not beneath the dignity of their order the parlement the only other bodies whose pretensions could be dangerous were sternly kept within the original limits of their constitution but while henceforth they were allowed to occupy themselves with the judicial functions alone mazarin was ever careful that no cause should be given them for discontent by interference with those functions they became once more bodies of magistrates constituting a legal caste all the machinery of a purely centralized administration was rapidly reorganized and in especial the intendants the favorite institution of both richelieu and mazarin were immediately restored even now before she could claim that supremacy in europe to secure which had been throughout all the troubles the guiding ambition of mazarin as it had been of richelieu france had much to accomplish and many dangers to overcome she had to win back the conquests which spain nerveless and inefficient as she had become had been able to wrest from her during the years of confusion piambino porto longone and casale in italy dunkirk mardyke gravelines fuen and other towns in flanders catalonia in spain and she had first to face the final efforts of conde end of section eight